0: Hello, all. Welcome to the Lunar Sea Spire Cartoon Fan Podcast. This is episode 470, and when we talked about Nimona, we had quite a bit to say. So without further ado, let's pick up right where we left off. I must be incredibly frustrating for, for Stevenson, because all of that stuff with Nimona being a shapeshifter went right over my head. I was focused on the uh, socially conservative coup against a liberal monarch that uh that took place. And the <laughs> I don't want to quite say police state, but we see the police apparatus of the state quite heavily. Yeah, I mean surveillance. I state, would say at that. Least. I would <laughs> I would say a police surveillance state. Easy. Well, they have all the tools, but we don't see them using it when Nimona isn't out playing, and um uh, let's be fair, she is very scary once she makes her way into the city. But like I said before, they were like that when she got here.
1: Yeah, it's the same thing. Like, is it a police state if they have all the tools to be one, but they don't use it because they have, like, good morals or whatever? Like, it's still a police state.
0: <laughs> well, they did have a very liberal monarch until quite recently. Um, they might be the only one who, as soon as the director visited him in jail, it's like, well, thank you for telling us who the <laughs> villain was. Once again, you're picking up hints that I did <laughs> not get. I, I I don't think it
2: counts as an Easter egg, but I do like that the voice actor for Shadow Weaver was the very short-lived voice actor for the queen so uh you know we get shadow weaver as a good character for mere seconds before you know the underbelly of this you know police state kicks in
1: yeah i mean shadow weaver's voice actress is very it's an awesome voice and it worked really well for the queen and i kind of almost wish that the queen was in it a bit more just so we could hear more of the voice because it, it it works really well for that like grandiose monarch sort of feel and then they also had the the minor status quo right where all of the protectors of the realm were like direct descendants of the original and i'm like well somebody noble aristocratic warrior class somebody had to pick the original in the first place right so the idea of somebody being able to get in through merit but then and it's sort of like, not to draw more parallels that may or may not actually have been put there intentionally, but the idea of like, oh, anybody can become rich if you just work really hard and anybody can, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And it's like, why do you want to be a millionaire? Right. Like, why, why do you want to be filthy, stinking rich? Like, why is this something that has to be striven for or a type of class of people that has to exist in the first place? I like that sort of deconstruction where the original message that they were like, what's the word not bait and switch but
2: the subversion the, the subversion what? thank
1: you <laughs> the they had like a little a little subversion where it's like oh no the message is that anybody can be a knight if they just work really hard and then the end message is why is why are why are there why do they exist at all why does this why does the <laughs> institute has to exist mm-hmm. who are we protecting them from right and me um because once again this is a uh, communist corner with Soren. Uh, Why do millionaires and billionaires have to exist at all? Why is this something that you have to strive for? Why does everybody have to have a business and a market and a side hustle and all that stuff? Like, can't we just live and work together, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's it's a very complex story in a way that I really appreciate because it is, in a sense, kiddified, but at the same time, it doesn't lose any of its nuance and impact. Because it is kind of a, a a hard line to walk on, right? It, it's it's a it's a, a tightrope of do I want to make this accessible and understandable and applicable to children, right? Is a child going to be able to watch this movie <laughs> and enjoy it not just because you know fun shape shifting monsters, but also are they going to resonate with these lessons, right? And and sometimes they won't. And one of my best examples is the original Incredibles movie. As as a kid, I had no flipping idea what was going on, right? I did not understand (laughs) any of, like, the more nuanced, complex plot points. But I still loved the movie as a kid. Like, I still got the gist of it and enjoyed the story and understood the character's motivations to a degree. And watching it as an adult is such a more impactful experience because I'm like, oh my god, this is so intelligent and nuanced and the mm-hmm. details like the the storytelling kind of told without having to tell you right that sort of background atmospheric storytelling mm-hmm. right a, a a picture's worth a thousand words type of storytelling and it is something you can do with a kid's medium and it's not necessarily easy the Incredibles 2 movie did not do that at all <laughs> right? right like they they did not like the, what made the original Incredibles movie so fantastic and put it like above the rest as far as Pixar movies just did not exist in the second movie, which was very disappointing. But also like, you know, that's a once in a, once in a generation type of movie. So I wasn't really expecting them to surpass themselves like they had, especially since, you know, Disney has been going down the gutter as far as quality.
2: <laughs> but yeah, on that, on that theme of like, Yes, this movie is about, you know, the the politics, right, of things that we might want, you know, children to think about and in terms of identity, things that we want kids to talk about. And yes, like how do you penetrate it correctly? Is it like the Incredibles will they remember it later? Like for me a show too that was like the Incredibles for you was Avatar, right? Where you watch it as a kid and for me though a lot of those themes actually stuck. So it like played two roles where I feel like the, the biggest themes, right, like pacifism and like genuine love and like building that, you know, team, what, you know, demonstrating what those really close, trusting relationships look like. I feel like that stuck with me <laughs> even early on. But just as a show, it's so sticky that you come back to it later. So like, I feel like the best children's media does both. Like you get bigger themes as a kid and then you also keep watching it <laughs> over and over as an adult. And you're like, oh, crap, this means even more to me now. And like Nimona to me is doing that perfectly. I mean, I'm kind of a sap and I cry a bunch and everything. I mean, I literally even cried during the Mario movie, although for different reasons, because I just like Mario too much. And it's just too cool to see it animated.
1: Oh, I thought it's because you were just so tired of seeing Chris (laughs) Pratt. I can't believe they kept him after all of the backlash. I haven't seen the Mario movie, so maybe it is fantastic.
2: But like, but this movie, you know, I I cried not because I'm just addicted to Mario, but like, uh, which would be a weird causation. But like, the the themes really do come through here. And especially to me, what usually makes me cry in kids media is this feeling that they're giving words to children that they might remember later. And so to me, one of those scenes was actually having Boldheart asking those questions of Nimona, right? Like, at first... He's just curious about, you know, her backstory in kind of a non-genuine way, and she yeah. kind of calls him out on that, right?
1: Yeah, it's like, explain yourself. Why are you different?
2: What? Why are you gay? <laughs> exactly! And it led to an extremely, like, awesome scene where Nimona sort of fakes him out and stares at the subway wall as it passes by, and we have this really beautifully animated, totally unique tiles, right? Like we have the, the effect of as the subway passes by, right, and light passes through the windows, right? You kind of get that continuous shadow effect. And then Namona is actually animated as color tiles on the subway wall. And like that just was really cool. And then the fact that all of that builds up to just, oh she's lying. <laughs> and she's <and, and laughs> just saying screw you.
1: Me when I lie.
0: And she uh she was fixated on that wishing well though. Right. And yet it has that element of truth. Yeah, I don't think
1: the story was entirely uh, a lie. I think she was just kind of being melodramatic for the fun of it. I mean, maybe it was true. Maybe she was genuinely playing it straight and then made him think that she was messing with him anyway.
2: (laughs) Right. We'll never know exactly, you know, is she just 100% monster? Is there any element? But... Like, literally a lesser god of some sort? Right. I mean, she seems to at least be a really old, super powerful being, so nice job. But, yeah, so then when we get to uh, the scene in, I, I don't know what to call the location, just both lair right? Where he's actually starting to understand, you know, basically how to understand someone else. And like, basically even understanding what's appropriate, like, even if he's curious about something, what is actually a, uh, sort of meaningfully empathetic way to engage, right? And ask yes. and understand. And it's, you know, I, he has the moment and I don't know if a child will realize this, but I hope that they're, The way that the questions were framed will make them think about it later, but he's coming from a position, right? Not just of curiosity, academic curiosity or gross curiosity, right? He's actually looking to understand her because he wants to support her. He wants to like emotionally be there for her and relate to her, right? Like when the questions come from that perspective, then it actually means something. And so I think like this demonstrates that, right? And we see that's the changing point in their relationship, right? And she's able to open up about an experience that, you know, bringing it back to how we were talking about, is it an allegory just about like the trans experience or about a bunch of experiences that where people feel like outcasts. But for her describing shapeshifting, right? And saying like, why do I shapeshift? Right? Can can I just not? Wouldn't that, would it be painful? It's like, no, but it's literally, (laughs) it's like what I am. It's what gives me like life and energy. I can't imagine not, you know, that's, I hope that's what, like, a kid would get out of it because that's, you know, that's the emotional core, right, of Nimona in, in this story. Yeah. And that's,
1: that's kind of like the, the turning point in Ballister's sort of attitude towards her because initially he's like, explain yourself, freak. But then later he's sort of like, yeah, he comes from a more compassionate and like the curiosity isn't what is wrong here. You're not wrong for asking questions, but when you ask them in like an accusatory, context from that kind of like background you can't be surprised when people are defensive because you're literally like coming at them but coming from a like a place of genuine curiosity you'll find a lot of people are more than willing to explain their experiences and are often happy to do so because they don't (laughs) you don't always get the opportunity to like truly explain yourself um especially when you come from a an identity that might be very heavily understood or you know, be at the subject of a lot of misinformation. So being able to say like, no, this is what it's like for me to personally experience this, because you can read all of the studies you want about genetics and neurology and, you know, what makes an identity and all that stuff. But in the end, like, you want to talk with the people who live those experiences. And it's something that, you know, they're trying to do in like, Uh, psychiatry and medicine right when I was first going into school for psychology they talked about like mental illnesses and people with mental illnesses as if it's like there weren't mentally ill people in that room in that classroom like learning it as you speak right like you can't just be like saying whatever you want about people with mental illnesses and, and talking about them as if they're like these fringe freaks that you know you only see in prison or in movies and like actually understanding oh wait if you take a group of 20 people five easily are neurodivergent in some way right and that this is including stuff like adhd add autism anxiety like all, all, depression like all the the common ones right so yeah we have the common ones and schizophrenia it's a lot more common than you think it is so the idea of teaching. About different types of people from a perspective of they are like you and me, and they could be in this room as we speak, and they often hide in plain sight, right? Like freaking how many how many times? I don't know if they still do this now because it's been you know ten years since I've been in middle school, but the amount of times in middle school and high school where it's like okay, let's debate gay marriage because it was like the big, <laughs> it was the oh big talking God. point at the time, and then you have like the the, <laughs> the queer kids in class like nervously sweating and looking at each other, or the ones who like weren't out yet to themselves or anybody else and yeah. then you know like debate debate your identity you know with a microphone right. in your face and then like you're too emotional and it's like well you're pointing a gun in my
2: face so forgive <laughs> yeah me. well i i think uh too the thing that i liked in in the story is they kind of have this theme of you know asking questions right the fact that Nimona's saying, "Hey." what do you, why do you, have you ever thought about the wall before? Have you ever thought about why you do the things? And, you know, she kind of brings Boldheart along on this journey to the point where he actually takes it too far. And he thinks, you know, that he's got to be so skeptical all the time that he brings it back, you know, against her too, right? Like, maybe you are a monster and maybe you've been tricking me the whole time. But I like that, you know, it's not the same as the middle school, uh, is gay okay debate. But in the same sort of idea, I think what it that, you know, that moment shows is, you know, where is the questioning and skepticism coming from? Like, what is a thing that makes sense to question or not to question? When you build bonds with each other and when you, like, understand a person from an empathetic perspective, that's not, you know, once you establish that, then it's not the time to be skeptical of them. So, like, you should, there is, like, a line where questioning makes sense or doesn't, right? Like, everything isn't always necessarily up for debate, right? Like, people's, you know, goodness, for instance, might be worth trusting. It might be worth saying, hey, maybe, like, it's worth questioning people in power, because, uh, you know, power is a sensitive thing. But maybe my friend who, you know, has shared their genuine experiences with me, maybe those uh don't make much sense to question because uh you know why would they what's their motivation to lie to me compared to the police state you know <laughs> so i I like that that was probably a deeper theme that maybe you know kids might not pick up on initially, but i I hope it demonstrates that sort of it it just reminds me of that culture of I'm just asking questions bro online, right like no <laughs> that it, it, it there's a, a time and a place for genuine skepticism versus not. So it's cool that they threw that in as one of the, you know, through lines for for Boldheart.
1: Yeah, and and I do enjoy this sort of like this this shift that Ballister had, right? Cuz initially he's just trying to prove the institute wrong on only one thing about him, right? So the institute is still good. They were they just are, you know, somebody framed me and they're mistaken about me, but like it's still an institution that he wants to keep running and he still believes in, and, you know, he and Nimona, like, Namona, calls him out on this, obviously, it's like, we should be taking down the whole institute and he doesn't understand it, and it's not until he confronts, until he tries, right? He thinks, like, oh, they're so reasonable, they'll listen to me, they'll whatever, and until, and it, it isn't until he realizes how deep the corruption goes where he's like, you know what, screw it, like, we need to burn it down and start over again, and that's, like, That is part of the shift on how he starts to understand Nimona better, because once he realizes that everything is a lie and that everything should be questioned, he realizes that, like, his initial, like, it's not that, oh, monsters are bad, but maybe Nimona is good. Oh, monsters aren't bad, right? And that sort of shift, right? Like, and it's, like, god, how many freaking identities have that same thing where it's like, Pick me, gays. Where it's like, oh, I'm not like the other ones, right? And it's like, okay, so you agree with homophobia if it's against like gays that aren't you or that are too <laughs> different, right? That's that that sort of idea, right? Like, oh, I don't, I don't make it my whole personality, etc. Like we've all heard this this same thing, and it's just like you're appealing to somebody who is trying to divide you from your allies and who sees you as the same as them, right? So somebody who says like. I'm fine with gay people as long as they don't shove it in my face. It's like, you're not fine with gay people, right? Because two people holding hands at the subway is going to be a problem for you if they're same-sex, regardless of if they're wearing rainbow all over the place or not. Like, it's still coming from a place of bigotry, and so you have to throw all of it away. It's that first initial step of maybe these ideas in this framework and this ideology is wrong is, oh, there's exceptions. But the core of it is still true. And then being like, oh, it's all wrong. And some people sit in this stage of they still believe that core belief, but they think that there are some exceptions here and there. And and they never get to the point where the, the whole core belief is wrong. But ideally, that's that's where you want to go. That's where you want to completely dismantle this idea of being a freak or being different is wrong. You know, if you're freaking completely harmless and it's just the person that you are so right there's so much going on in this film that's so intelligent hitting my microphone again (laughs) i'm very i very (laughs) animated uh right now with my hands so so imagine me like an italian right now just talking with my hands
2: (laughs) another totally not marginalized group because (laughs) hey if super mario and steven universe can do it then uh we can too (laughs)
1: <laughs> hey, St- Stephen is of Italian descent, DeMeo. <laughs> but yeah, and and, and Uncle Andy, Uncle, un- <laughs> um, and, and and I mean, Uncle Andy is also a pretty good example where he's in that middle stage where he's starting to make those exceptions, and I mean that's why everyone's like, why didn't Stephen cancel Uncle Andy? And it's like sometimes you have to meet people where they're at, and then from there, because it is a middle step, right? Some people. Like, very few people can just completely dismantle their entire audiology in one go, right? Sometimes it does take seeing the exceptions, understanding them, and being like, oh, there shouldn't be exceptions. The whole rule is wrong. And, like, Uncle Andy was in that area where he's like, oh, illegal aliens. Well, I guess these gals are all right. (laughs) And then, you know, from there, I mean, if Steven Universe hadn't been canceled, maybe we did get an Uncle Andy redemption story where now he's, you know, I don't know. (laughs) showing up to Black is Matter protests, who knows, but <laughs> <laughs> as absolutely based as that would be. So yeah, I I do really appreciate this complex, intelligent storytelling of what it is like for somebody to have their worldview shaken, and instead of clinging to their beliefs, being dynamic and accepting with new information that maybe things aren't what we think they were.
0: Always something that can be uh, striven for, except uh, Mister Goldenloin, perhaps not the, not the most adroit. I, I'm really surprised <laughs> that they didn't record the part where uh, she shape to pretend to be him. Like they, they had the slam dunk. Oh, it was so not her saying that stuff because we have what she was doing here. But I guess they wanted to save footage, uh, save tape. They were being cheap. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, they had to save. You know. Couple extra thousand off their multi million dollar budget. Also, Disney did not deserve Nemo. Oh
2: my gosh! Yeah, don't even. I I like. There's so much. Like, I I really do want a part two where we just walk through like scene by scene how gorgeous everything was. <laughs> like, I I think I missed out on like recognizing Blue Sky as a studio and like I just I wish I had seen you know the timeline where this film actually had like a theatrical release and you know what that would mean for the studio right which it's like their first film that even had you know any characters <laughs> that you could label as lgbtq and like that's cool but also still incredible to me that like that's still happening there's still so many firsts like it's hard to remember but like steven universe was actually a seminal <laughs> piece at one point and that was only 2015 right but like all these media companies were so hesitant to it and like if it wasn't even just the pandemic or the Disney merger, right? Like, just the fact that Golden Loin and Boltheart are, you know, in love in this movie was actually a serious point of contention that on its own would have canceled it in Disney's hands, which is just, yeah. like, wild because that was, you know, 2019, right? Like, Steven Universe didn't change the world and all media.
1: Well, also, I don't think you're giving credit to The Legend of Korra because they kind of put their foot in the door. Cause it was, um, right. The creators, Brike, uh, Mike and Brian, like the second the finale came out, they had this like long announcement saying, yes, we intended for them to be queer. We fought the network for ages trying to show it more explicitly in the show. So if you feel like it's really subtle, that there's a reason for that. And I think there was, there was obviously the backlash where people were like, why are, why are gay people in everything now? Like, it, it came out of nowhere, no, no, na no, na, and, like, not understanding why it was like that, but it also, it, it put foot in the door, because then later you're starting to get more and more queer media getting in there, and then once the, these studios and these publishers are realizing, like, oh, it doesn't mean bankruptcy, and, like, yeah, you're gonna get a couple, like, obnoxious conservatives, you know, blowing up on Facebook, like, they're not profitable anymore, which, I mean, yay they think we're profitable (laughs) now (laughs) but also like it is showing this big cultural shift and i mean you do have like the counterculture movement but something that they bank on is people not realizing that they're just a really loud minority if you were to pull every single here i'm gonna talk america because you know i'm american (laughs) this we're we're all american in the recording studio here but uh quote studio (laughs) <laughs> um, if you were to pull every single American, easily over 50% are going to have positive or neutral or non-negative views of like queer people, trans people, whatever. Like it is not as hated as, you know, conservatives would want you to believe because they are a fringe minority and they bank on people not understanding that they are a tiny minority, right? Cause they want like that fear to dictate your actions right because if you're afraid that you know you're going to be the subject of a hate crime you're not going to express yourself and that's what they want literally the
2: plot of Nimona by the way <laughs> literally right <laughs> which by the way still labeled as representation matters on Netflix which is like we're so close uh, we're so uh,
1: close <laughs> to the Netflix end is like look how profitable we are <laughs> but yeah and and it's And I wouldn't say Legend of Korra was the very, very first. I would say major popular kids cartoons, especially like Western, that did at least make an attempt in that direction. And I'm like, yeah, I obviously would have loved to see more. But for God, what year did it find it? 2014, nine years ago in the last decade, the acceptance of queer people in children's media, because that's always been the biggest thing, right? like since the 80s and always before there's been the rhetoric of like queer is not acceptable for children right and it's been the whole thing like think of the children like kids don't give kid appropriate word kids don't give a monkey's uncle about that sort of thing right it's extremely easy to explain that sort of thing to children And and i have before right like kids are like Girls can have girlfriends, and I'm like, yeah. Sometimes boys can have boyfriends. It's called being gay, and they're like, oh, I've heard of that before. My brother calls me it all the time.
2: And I'm just <laughs> yeah, literally <like, laughs> Stephen Universe is like, you know, Ruby and Sapphire revealed I'm at a daycare. The kids like, oh, Ruby and Sapphire like each other, and I'm like, yeah, yep. <laughs> and then it's over. They have no follow up questions. Like they literally why don't would care. They? And then, and then it's the
1: same thing with trans identities. It's like sometimes you're a boy, and then sometimes you change and be a girl. Like literally anything else in life, you know. Like you're in charge of your own destiny. You know. Remember those like My Strange Addiction? Those shows where it's like, look at these freaks who tattoo themselves to look like snakes. But at the end of the day, they're still like respected as human, and like it, it's part of this. It, it it's framed as this like very American individualistic idealism of you know what, you may not agree with it, but if you want to cut your tongue in half so it's like a snake, by all means, it's a free freaking country. And I don't know if you saw, like, all of these reality shows where they just went to, like, different people who, like, drastically modified their bodies, like, tattooed head-to-toe green, cut their nose off, like I said, the, the snake tongue, that sort of thing, they were all over, you know, like, ten years ago. And this idea of, like, if you want to change yourself, It is your God-given right, you know, and now this idea, this, like, kind of conservative reactionary movement of, like, actually, you don't have agency over your own body when it's, like, something that's so anti-American, especially because, you know, we're so individualistic over here. The idea that, like, an individual doesn't have control over their body is, like, kind of against a very intrinsic American value, so... I can't wait to see conservatives all wither and die.
2: <laughs> yeah, and that, that thought ends there. No, but I, I, I like, um, I'm interested to read the graphic novel now, too, since you mentioned that the core of Ballister's sort of betrayal is specifically around preventing the shape shifting, essentially, right? Like being able to stop that ability. So that also seems to tie in with that theme of like, literally controlling that aspect of her, right?
1: Yeah, it's a bit more com- I mean, obviously that's how Nimona interprets it. I think Ballister's motivations were a bit different. I think she was literally like about to go like big murder a bunch of people, <laughs> which is why he was trying to stop her.
2: We're all not perfect, you know?
1: Yeah, but I mean, obviously she interpreted it that way, and I mean, I don't blame her for that. So, it- it's, it's complicated, and I enjoy very much being able to like, to, to have sort of vague open-ended interpretations in storytelling here
0: and that brings us to the end of our discussion on mnemona we think we have a bit more to say but uh that will be a brand new discussion so until next week later everybody our opening and closing music is by mark soto for more cartoon related content Please visit LunarCeasefire.com